Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Hello, and welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Ken Sullivan. Today I'll be teaching from the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm reading from the New International Version. So let's get started. I'm reading verses 1 through 3. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In the last days, and I believe that these are the days that we're living in now, we're living in the last days, Paul predicted that people would abandon the true faith and follow demonic teachings, that is, teachings that are inspired by demon spirits, teachings and also habits, uh, lifestyles that are inspired by demonic spirits. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4 from the New Living Testament says, uh, they will reject the truth and chase after myths. Um, myth, of course, is a, a story, a made-up story or a legend. And Paul predicts that in the last days, they will substitute these myths or legends for the real truth of God's word. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, there will be a great falling away or an apostasy, that is a rebellion against the true faith or the truth. Uh, these teachings, again, Paul says, they come from deceiving spirits, that is demonic powers that influence people, but the teachings are carried by what Paul called hypocritical liars who have dead consciences. Uh, in other words, their consciences have been seared as with a hot iron and, and uh, they just don't care. They have no remorse. Um, they ha have no principle. Uh, so they are willing to teach anything. Their teachings seem righteous, but are demon inspired. Uh, Paul said one of the things they would teach would be to, to forbid people to marry. That's one of the um, the beliefs that they will hold, that people don't need to marry. Um, they will say that they will devalue marriage, in other words. Now, what did the Bible say about marriage? The value of marriage, of course, today is being uh, attacked. It is certainly under attack. And uh, people are opting out, choosing to shack or to cohabitate rather than marry. And often they'll say, well, what do I need a piece of paper for, or uh, I don't want to marry. I want to just see if this is going to work out. And uh, that mindset, according to Paul, that philosophy really, it doesn't come from God. It comes from demonic influences. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse four says, marriage should be honored by all, 
and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. So there is consequences to rejecting marriage. Uh, there's consequences for um, choosing to, to cohabitate. In the end, finally, God's going to judge such things. But it's important to know that God ordained marriage. And in our day, uh, the traditional marriage is being obscured. God ordained marriage between one, one man and one woman. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 5, he says, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That was Jesus talking in Matthew. Um, verse 3 also says they forbid the eating of certain food. That will be some of the demonic teaching that you can't eat certain foods. A lot of people opt not to eat meat at all or, or just to eat vegetables. A lot of people going to vegan diets. And, and of course, uh, choosing a vegan diet, is, there's nothing demonic about that if a person wants to do that for health reasons or just for their personal choice. Uh, but to teach that kind of abstinence is not from God because uh, God's word uh, actually gives us permission to eat whatever we want to eat. Let's look at verses four and five of our text and, and we'll see what it says. Verses four and five says, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected. It is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So we have the liberty to eat whatever we, whatever we want and, and uh, we don't have the right to impose um, our preferences upon other people, not from a religious uh, perspective. We can't say that God favors people who don't eat meat or don't eat certain kinds of meat. The Bible says that all things are good for us and they're sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So if we pray over it, it's okay. Now we have to eat in moderation, of course. We have to be careful how much of anything that we eat because there's certain foods that are fatty and there's certain foods that are not good for our bodies if we eat too much of it. But uh, as far as religious purposes, there is nothing that uh, says that we cannot eat what we want to eat, but, but uh, the false teachers will impose these kind of strict rules upon people to give them a sense that they are really serving God or making a sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice for God, and that it's accomplishing something. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7, verses 18 through 19. He says, can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By this, the Bible says he declared every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Again, that's Mark chapter 7, verses 18 through 19. Here's an interesting passage in Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Paul says this, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. 
These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. And so you see, there is that sense. And one of the things that the enemy is going to do is, is uh, switch the script on us so that people are making all of these sacrifices. Um, they're adhering to these strict man-made rules, and it gives them the sense that they are really accomplishing something with God. And Paul clearly says that these things give you no power. They, they have no strength in conquering a person's evil desires. They have a, they have a feeling a showing of godliness, but uh, but they don't have any power to really deal with the sin uh, problem in our lives. Strict man-made rules may make people feel holy, but they don't help conquer sin, the sinful desires. In Matthew 23, verses 4 and 5, Jesus was talking about the religious leaders of his day who imposed a lot of man-made rules. In fact, they added them to, to God's word, and, uh, and, and in many instances, they nullified what God said by their own man-made rules. And so Jesus is rebuking them here in Matthew chapter 23, uh, verses 4 and 5. He says, they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. Um, and that's the way it is with false religious teachers. Everything that they do is for show. Uh, and they make up all of these rules that are a real burden upon people that are not based in Scripture. The same devil that inspired the legalistic religious leaders of Jesus' day is at work today. That same devil is, is making people feel that they are holy by a lot of strict man-made rules. And just the opposite is true. Uh, it gives them the sense that they are accomplishing something in their own, with their own flesh. Some people teach false doctrine because they are hypocritical liars. That's what Paul said. I know that's strong, but that's what Paul says. But then there are others who teach them out of sincere ignorance. But the damage is the same. Regardless to the reason behind why these things are taught, they are false. And if they're false, they do damage to people. They inhibit people's freedom. Satan uses good intentions as readily as bad intentions, as long as the information is false. That's all he wants to do is get false information out to mislead people. That's what he does. He's a deceiver. He misleads people. He doesn't care if it comes from hip hypocritical liars or if it comes from people who are sincere but don't know what they're talking about. The damage is the same. That's why the Bible warns. It says in James 3 and 1, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So people who take it upon themselves to teach the word of God are going to have a, a more severe uh, judgment or a, a more, um, um, yeah, severe judgment. They're going to be judged more harshly because uh, teachers should know better. And so we should not be cavalier about this attitude of, of just taking upon ourselves to teach. And we all know what we're talking about. We mislead people. Teaching the word of God is a, a very 
serious matter because we're dealing with people's souls and we're, we're supposed to be leading them. And so we need to know what we're talking about when we're teaching the word of God. Legalistic man-made rules from sincere but sincerely wrong teachers really hindered me in, in my own personal life, hindered me from coming to Christ for years. For years, I didn't want to be a Christian because of all of the rules, all of the strict rules that were laid down that I knew that I couldn't, I couldn't keep them. Uh, when I was growing up, they taught you couldn't play ball. You couldn't play games at all. And you couldn't even jacks, you know, jack with the Jackson balls. Uh, you couldn't play that. Marbles were frowned upon. In fact, uh, when something uh, happened in our lives that frightened us and, and we wanted to get saved to know that, we're, that we were safe in God, one of the things that they would tell us is uh, go throw away your marbles. I probably, if I went back to the house that I was raised in and go to that field across from the house, I could probably dig up all kinds of marbles because um, we would get frightened. We would throw away our marbles. And then in a few days or a few hours, um, the fright would leave and we'd want our marbles back. But So those these things um, are man-made rules. They're not in the Bible. You couldn't go to movies. That's another thing. Television was called a one-eyed demon. Now, I'll admit that there's a lot of stuff on television and movies. We have to be selective about what we watch. But we have the liberty to do a lot of things that people try to impose upon us that were wrong. They said it was wrong, but there was no, there's no biblical basis for that. Certainly, we want to obey what God says, but we don't need to add onto that the weight of man-made rules. Women couldn't wear pants or makeup or, or jewelry. These are the kinds of false teachings that demons inspire in people. And his strategy is, here's his strategy. His strategy is to overburden sincere Christians and discourage them into turning away from God. To discourage unbelievers from becoming Christians because of all of the strict rules. He wants to discourage young people to leave the church before they really get into the church because they've got all of these rules in the way that are hindering people from entering in. They want uh, The goal of it is to distract Christians from focusing on the true teachings of Christ. While we're bothering with all the man-made stuff, um, then all of the things that God is teaching us to do, which are legitimate things that we should do, are being obscured by man-made teaching, the false teachings of, of man. Another reason that Satan uses these so-called strict teachings is to create a self-righteous, holier-than-thou attitude in people who keep these kinds of rules. Um, keeping man-made rules gives a person a sense of spiritual superiority. You've seen them. People who walk around and look down their noses at everybody and judge everybody, judges everybody and uh, by their by their rules. Of course, if we're Christians, we should live by the word of God. But it gives people an air of piousness that is false. And so we want to make sure that what we're teaching squares with the word of God. We don't want to impose anything upon people um, that the Bible has not imposed upon them. Okay. Now, another reason that the enemy uses these false strict teachings is to create a counterfeit Christianity based on works rather than faith in Christ. So the Bible tells us that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. 
but man-made teaching imposes works upon us, and it makes us feel that we are earning our salvation somehow by the strict rules that we adhere to. Satan and the demon world are masters of imposing strict religious rules to make people feel spiritual and holy when nothing is further from the truth. False teaching is just another way to prevent people from doing what God commands. It's a distraction. It gets in the way. If we get rid of all of that stuff and we just focus upon what God says, we'll have plenty to do. Now, let me emphasize what Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23. I want to reiterate. These rules may seem wise, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. If it's not Bible-based, it has no power. It is just a distraction. They cannot help you to resist sin. There's enough in the Bible for us to do without making up extra rules. God only wants us to deny ourselves things that harm us or harm other people. All of God's commandments are summed up in just one command, the Bible says. Galatians chapter 5 verse 14 says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, So all of what God demands, all of the law is summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Focus on that. The whole Bible teaches us how God expressed his love to us and how we should express our love to God and to each other. That's what the Bible is about. Now I'm reading verses, uh, verse 6 by itself. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Good ministers, Paul says, good ministers teach people these truths and help them major on major things. Good teachers don't distract people, distract people with, with false teachings and, and myths and, and, and get them off of following God to following after myths. Good teachers teach the truth. A good minister helps people avoid and shun legalistic demonic doctrines that are not based on the Bible. They throw out stuff that was handed down to them that is not biblical. A good teacher has to have the boldness and the backbone to discontinue things that he knows is not biblical and to begin to teach everything that is biblical, to put that on the people's plate. A good minister feeds on the truths of the faith, the truths of the faith, not myths, a good minister teaches sound doctrine. A good minister sets a good example of righteousness and godliness. Now let's read verses 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life that is to come. The pagan world was full of myths and tales and legends about gods. They had many gods. 
gods. They had temple, a temple that was called the Pantheon. They were polytheistic. That means they, they worshiped many gods, but all of these gods were false. There were all kinds of temples dedicated to all kinds of false gods. The ruins of some of these temples still stand today. The Greeks and the Romans worshiped many false gods like Zeus or Jupiter, who was supposed to be king of the gods. Then they, uh, they worshiped Aphrodite or Venus, the goddess of love. They, uh, they worshiped Hera or Juno, the goddess of marriage, Poseidon or Neptune, the god of the sea, Apollo, the god of music or medicine, Eros or Cupid, the god of love. And uh, we see little pictures of Cupid, uh, the little cherub that's supposed to be um, shooting arrows into people's hearts uh, around Valentine's Day. That's when you see those little things. Well, uh, they have their roots back in this uh, false uh, idea of God called Eros or Cupid. Diana or Artemis was supposed to be the goddess of nature. And uh, this god is, is, is mentioned, this goddess is mentioned in Acts chapter 19. Now, Paul was purging the Gentile saints of these superstitions because it was their background. Uh, the Greeks and the Romans and the people of, of other cultures, these Gentile non-Jewish people uh, were steeped in these false religions. And Paul was trying to strip this stuff away from them, letting them know that they, these are all myths. There's no truth to this. You turn to the truth of the gospel and you stick with that. He was teaching them to accept the truth of the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. In essence, Paul was saying, get rid of superstitions and train yourself to be godly. Physical training does have some value, but godliness is far more valuable than physical training. We can do both. Physical training improves health and the quality of this life, but godliness benefits us in this life and in the life to come. Just a few ways spiritual training benefits us in this life, I'll share with you now. Just, uh, just think about spiritual training and how it benefits us. First of all, it helps us to eliminate bad habits that are detrimental to health. And that helps us to live longer. It helps us, spiritual training helps us to eliminate bad habits that are detrimental to marriage and family. Okay, it teaches us fidelity, to be faithful to our, our spouse and to be faithful to our, our supporting our children, to be good fathers and good mothers. It helps us find and pursue our purpose. Godliness does, godly training. It brings joy and peace and fulfillment into our lives. It promotes love and faithfulness, which promotes better human relations, friendships, and, and uh, other relationships with our friends and our relatives and our coworkers. It promotes honesty and integrity and good work ethics, which enhances job performance and career opportunities. Godly training promotes the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge which positively affects all of our lives. Now, let's look at some ways that spiritual training benefits us in the next life. It ensures eternal life in heaven and the new earth. That's valuable. 
it secures for us better rewards in heaven. And the Bible says that we are to lay up treasures in heaven. And then when we get there, we'll have those things to enjoy. It determines our eternal status and position for uh, a rulership in the next earth. Uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but we're going to rule and reign with Christ in the next earth. During the millennial kingdom, we will rule with him. We will reign with him. And then in the new heaven and the new earth, we will rule and reign with him. And what we do on this planet determines uh, our level of responsibility in the next world. So we want to uh, train ourselves to be godly. We want to be rich in good works uh, because we want to rule and reign with Christ and be the best that we can be in the next life. It also provides us great honor and great glory in heaven and in the new earth. So that's a lot to look forward to. Those are good reasons to train yourself to be godly, to uh, to exercise yourself. And King James says, exercise yourself rather unto godliness. Get rid of these old wives' tales and fables and rather focus on training yourself, exercising yourself unto godliness. Now I'm reading verses 9 and 10. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Paul says, we have told you what we've told you can be trusted. The, the words that we've shared with you, they can be trusted because Paul knew the value of spiritual training. He labored and he, and he strived because he knew that. He understood the value of it. Because Paul believed that spiritual training would pay off on earth and in heaven, his hope was in God, the Savior of all people. So because Paul understood the value of it, it's, it's just like when we work a natural job, we do our best because we understand the value of that job. We understand that we're going to be paid. We're going to be given wages for the things that we do. And the more we do and the better we do it, very often the better to pay. Christ has made salvation available to the whole world. That's important for us to know. But the world has to access it. They have to accept this offer of salvation by placing their faith in Christ. Now, to place faith in Christ is to believe and obey the gospel. Listen to what 1 John chapter 2 and verses uh, uh, 1 John 2, 3 through 4 in the New uh, International Version. It says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him and does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So we know that we know him when we come to obey him, when we come to follow him, when he is Lord of our lives as well as Savior of our lives. He can't be Savior without being Lord. If we think that we can just receive Christ and not obey him, we're deceiving ourselves. And if we confess that we have Christ and we won't obey him, we won't follow him, we won't allow him to transform our lives, then John says that we are liars 
And I know that's a harsh rebuke, but it's a sobering one. And uh, the truth is what helps us to get off the wrong track and onto the right track. Now in verses, I'm reading verses 11 through 12. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul told Timothy to command and teach these things despite his youth. Don't let anyone dis disrespect you, Paul is saying, because you're young. Timothy was probably in his 30s or 40s, but he was not a novice. He was a veteran in the faith. And so Paul said, and, and, but because there are some older people in the church, uh, they may have wanted to try to disrespect him. And Paul said, don't allow that. Be firm. Deal with people. Paul told Timothy to win the respect of people by first setting an example by practicing what he preached. And that's a good way for any young minister or any minister of any age to gain people's respect. Don't ask people to do what you're not willing to do yourself. Set the example. Uh, leaders lead. They don't lead from behind, like a lot of our politicians are doing today. Uh, leaders lead from the front. They get out front first and they they lead by example. They teach the word and then they demonstrate the word in their own lives. Timothy was to set an example in speech. Ephesians 4.29 in the New Living Translation says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So Paul says, you be an example in the way you speak the way you use your words. Uh, don't use foul and abusive language. Set the example for the people that you're, you're leading. I'm noticing a, a trend um, among preachers who are using profanity. And I think that that is misleading people because people are going to tend to do a little less than what their leaders do. So if you're using profanity, you can certainly expect your, uh, your people to relax their standard and to begin to follow you into that. That's wrong. We must set a godly example for people. So we have to discipline ourselves to do what is right because there are people following us. When my children were little, I was very careful about the things that I did because I knew that they were going to imitate me. Their little ears were listening and their eyes were watching. And I didn't want to do anything that was going to lead them into harm. So I was careful what I said, careful what I, what I did. My children have never heard me use a curse word, a profanity. Uh, they never saw me abuse their, their mother, or curse her out or, or uh, degrade her. Um, these are things that we have to set. And, and as leaders in the church, pastors and ministers, evangelists, whatever your calling is, uh, you have a standard to uphold. You have people who are following you and you want to lead them by example. So Timothy was to set the example by his words, his speech. He was also to set the example in love. Love must be sincere, the Bible said. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Be devoted to one another in love. 
Honor one another above yourselves. These are the things that Timothy was to adhere to. He was to set an example in his faith, Paul says, um, in his speech, in love, and in faith. James says, show me your faith without your deeds or without your works, and I will show you my faith by my deeds or my works. That's James chapter 2, verse 18. So Timothy was to set the example of the people in faith. He was to show them how to believe God. He was to allow them to see him uh, believing God and standing up and, and following God even through difficulty. And I will say to fathers and mothers, those of you who have children or you're raising grandchildren, let your children see your integrity. Uh, let them see your submission to God. Let them see you reading the Bible. Let them see you praying and let them see you attending church regularly. Let them see you respecting your pastor and not having him for dinner, um, talking about him and running him down behind his back and, and uh, challenging everything that he does. Don't teach your children to be rebels. Um, and if you teach them the right way and you set the right example, then they will grow up and follow that example and their lives will be blessed. So Timothy was to set that example in the way he, that he spoke and in, in, in his uh, speech, his words, and the way that he loved, demonstrated love. And he was to uh, set that example in faith. And then he was to set that example in purity, Paul says, by living a good moral life, an honest and upright life. He was to set that kind of an example. And so um, parents and pastors, we, we want to set the kind of example that we want the people to follow. Let's not use the excuse and say, well, you know, nobody's perfect and your pastor's not perfect either. No, nobody's perfect, but we don't want to revel in that. God knows that we're not perfect, but he wants us to strive for perfection. So let's, uh, let's seek to do what God is demanding of us to do. A good leader leads by example, okay? So let's determine to set the example uh, for those who are following us. New people that are coming into the church, they need examples, they need role models, they need uh, people to point the way and to lead the way because they're coming out of a world where anything goes. And so when they come into the light, they should see light. Now I'm reading verses 13 through 14. Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Now, all pastors should read and explain the scriptures to the congregation. It's important to break the bread of life to them, to break it down for them, to take the time. Hooping is good. And uh, that's a good thing. We all enjoy it. And especially if a pastor has the, uh, the ability, the artistic style of being able to hoop while he's saying something, while he's really giving you some, a lot of content, uh, content that's, that's, that's good. But sometimes we need to settle down and teach the, the people the word of God. Teach them. Uh, read it. And explain it to them. That's what that's what Paul says. And until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. So let let's do it all. 
We should do it all. All pastors should preach and teach. Uh, he may do one better than the other, but he should do both. Uh, not many pastors are good at everything. Uh, most of us have our special gift, our special skill. But just because we're not good at teaching doesn't mean that we shouldn't teach. We should prepare ourselves, take the time to study out the word, and then break it down and feed it to the people. All ministers should work at honing and developing their gifts. Don't neglect them, Paul said. Paul said to Timothy, don't neglect your gift, stir it up. Timothy's gift of ministry was imparted to him by God when the body of elders laid their hands on him. So the elders didn't give him the gift. They laid their hands on him and, and certainly God imparted the gift. It's like when God called, he anointed David as king over Israel, but he had Samuel to pour the oil on. Samuel didn't, didn't give uh, David the gift of being king. He just acknowledged it by pouring on oil. And so uh, when we lay hands on people, we're not giving them anything. We're not imparting it to them. We're acknowledging what God has already deposited in them. Verses 15 through 16, I'm reading. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Paul is saying, be conscientious, work hard, be earnest in your pursuit of the will of God about these things that God has given you. Use your gift. Give these things your time and your energy and your full attention. If you do, everyone will see your progress. Now, those of us who are ministers, we can't just get in the pulpit unprepared, just crack the Bible open when we get in the pulpit and try to find a scripture and, and a hoop from it. We've got to spend some time in studying God's word in private. We've got to get along with God and we have to be prayer warriors. We have to study out the word of God. We have to research so that we're giving them what they need. We're giving them the right thing. Uh, you can't just do this off the top of your head. You've got to take time to study and prepare yourself. We have to throw away this old notion that we can get it from the sky, just, just uh, spontaneously stand up and start preaching. You'll mislead people that way. You'll get off into error that way. Uh, stop and study the word of God, memorize scripture, outline a, a, a text, know what you're talking about, thoroughly research that thing, and then get up and share it with the people. And you know that you're leading them in the right way. So we have to give our time and our energy and our full attention to this. Be careful about how you live, Paul says, and what you teach. People are watching and some are following us. Paul said, if you persevere in these things and you don't quit, you will succeed in saving yourself and saving those who hear you. The Bible says, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you do not faint. That's a principle that works across the board. Now, you know that uh, when I uh, first started uh, to pioneer the church, my son pastors it now, New Direction. At that time, it was Charity Christian Center Church, and I started with just my, my wife and, and my three children. Um, 
just preaching. And then we went to the park and we preached and we passed out tracks and, and the, the growth seemed slow, but I had to persevere in that. I had to work at it and work at it. And finally, God began to give some growth. Uh, and so that's what we have to do in the things of God. Things are not instant with us. We have to persevere. We have to do what's right and not get weary in doing what's good. In due season, we will reap, the Bible says, if we do not faint. Well, that brings us to the end of 1 Timothy chapter 4. In our next teaching through the Bible session, we'll cover chapter 5. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, may God richly bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. Trust you've enjoyed this teaching. I want you to know that my book, Teach Me About Heaven, it's available on Amazon.com or you can get it at www.emergecurriculum.com.